Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all here. Thank you for joining us this morning. You know, this path that we take through life is a journey through valleys and hills and valleys and hills. Um, Do you ever wonder what the point of everything is? What is... What is everything in our lives adding up to? What's the sum of everything? You know, our world is is full of paradoxes. Uh, uh, Think about some of the mysterious things happening just right now. We can imagine these things happening right now, this very moment in our world. You know, one person might be clear-cutting a forest and making room for, for crops, while another person is busy planting saplings. Um, one person is leaving the hospital with a clean bill of health while another person is going to the ER right now afraid that, that they might have the coronavirus. One person's desperately asking God to give him or her food to eat right now. And another person is desperately asking God to help him or her lose weight. One boy is, is joyfully skipping through Disneyland right now. Well, another boy is, is walking through a landfill and searching for something of value that he can sell for a few pennies. One girl is playing soccer with her friends on some soccer field right now, and another girl, her same age, is forced to sell herself on the streets of some city. One beautiful baby is being born, while another beautiful baby is being aborted. One man's working hard to prepare and package methamphetamine to sell in our towns. And another man is working hard to catch drug dealers and confiscate those drugs. One woman's asking God to lead her to the right potential husband. Another woman is asking God to release her from an abusive spouse. One angelic being is is wholeheartedly worshiping God with the saints in heaven right now, while another angelic being is wholeheartedly trying to destroy the saints on earth right now. One star in our galaxy is created by God right now, while another star in our galaxy is destroyed by God. What is the point of all of this? Is there a point to all of this. What is our suffering and our rejoicing in life adding up to? What is God doing? What is the point of your life? What is everything in your life adding up to? What's the sum of all of it? Well, we want to open God's word this morning and find some answers. So please turn with me again to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Holy Spirit, as we open your word, we thank you for revealing and illuminating the scriptures to us. We ask that you would teach us, that you would change our hearts, that you would help us to turn from sin and to trust in you alone as our salvation. Please do your will now in saving and in sanctifying 
the people in this place. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So obviously, praise, praise, praise. The tone of this passage is praise. Now, does this passage help us figure out the answer to our question, what is everything leading to? Well, let's hone in on verses seven to 10 one more time. That's what we're gonna do today. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And again, the reason we're reading verses three to 14 each week is because in the original language, it's one sentence. So verse nine here talks about the mystery of God's will. And then it talks about God's purpose, which he set forth in Christ. And then verse 10 talks about a plan for the fullness of time. So it says that God's will, God's purpose, and God's plan is this. In the fullness of time to unite all things in Jesus. Things in heaven and things on earth. Now what exactly does that mean? Well, it's, it's why we want to find the answer from Scripture Day. We're going to try our best. But in short, for those of us who love Jesus, this passage is describing the most exciting, joyful, peaceful, and hopeful future that we could ever hope for. These verses are describing God's reconciling love. To reconcile means to restore peace and harmony in a relationship. To restore peace and harmony in a relationship. And so as we look more closely at these verses today, let's continue to do what we've been doing the past six weeks. To praise God for loving us immensely by blessing us lavishly with his glorious grace through Jesus Christ. Let's start by looking at verses seven to eight here. In him we have redemption through his blood, 
the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. So as we looked at um, this a few Sundays ago, these verses are describing God's redeeming love. And in the ESV translation, the first three words here of verse seven are very important. In him we. So each of these words are very important to the meaning of this verse and the verses that are to come. The word in means that these blessings are ours only if we are in someone or something. So the blessing of God's redeeming love is not ours if we are outside of a particular someone or something. So what must we be in in order to experience the fullness of God's redeeming love? Look at the next word, in him. So we must be in him to have redemption through his blood. And who is the him? Jesus Christ, right? And we know that because at the, of the end of verse six, where it says that God has blessed us in the beloved. Jesus Christ is the beloved. He is God the Father's one and only beloved son whom he has perfectly and eternally loved before time began. And this means that God's redeeming love is poured out entirely in the beloved Son of God, Jesus Christ. And the third word here then is we, in him we. And as we said in previous weeks, the we and the us and the you in this passage all refer to believers, to people who trust in Jesus Christ for redemption. And in verse one, these believers are called saints because God has made them holy in his sight. And then in verse five, it further describes the saints as God's adopted sons and daughters. And so these three words at the beginning of verse seven tell us how we are redeemed by trusting in Christ. They tell us in whom we are redeemed, in Jesus Christ alone. And they tell us who the redeemed are, we who trust in Christ. Now, after the first three words, Paul goes on to explain how Jesus accomplished this redemption. It says this, through his blood, which means that he shed his blood for us. He died on the cross to ransom us or to free us from sin. And also, he died to remit or to forgive our trespasses against God and he did it by paying our debt to God for us. And how does it say Jesus pay, paid our debt? Well, it says, through his blood, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. So how do you pay debt to God? It requires riches. And where do the riches come from? From the grace of God himself. Out of the riches of his grace, God offered Jesus' blood to pay our debt to free us from slavery to the law, slavery to sin, slavery to Satan, slavery to death, and slavery to hell. Thank you, Lord, right? Thank you, God, for paying our debt in Jesus. Now, all of these aspects of God's redeeming love in Christ are directly connected to what Paul is gonna say here next. Let's look at verses nine to 10, one phrase at a time. Making known to us the mystery of his will. 
So making known to us means that God has chosen to reveal something to us, right? So it means to make known something. You reveal it. Now, who does he make it known to? Us. And in this passage, who is the us? His adopted sons and daughters who trust in him. And specifically, God has chosen to reveal to us the mystery of his will. So Paul's saying that that God does not reveal the mystery of his will to everyone, but he does reveal it to God's children, to his children. You know, any person on earth might hear the mystery of God's will, but that doesn't mean that God reveals it to them as true and as glorious. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 7 to 10. He writes, But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, What God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. So the Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, reveals the mystery of God's will to the elect and enables them to trust in and to cling to God's mysterious will. So what is the mystery? What is the mystery of God's will that he makes known to believers? Well, in the Bible, the word mystery means something that was previously hidden, but which God has now made known. That is what mystery means in the context of Scripture. Something that was previously hidden, but which now, at this point in time, space, history, God has made known. And uh, Paul uses this word mystery in different ways. Uh, in different letters. And so in several of Paul's letters, he talks about the mystery of God as this, as the way that God brought together both Jews and Gentiles into one family in Jesus Christ, right? Uh, So in Christ, God has revealed that the Jewish people who at one time appeared to be the exclusive people of God now only make up part of God's people. But God has revealed that it does not matter what race a person is. Your race does not make you part of God's people. Instead, whoever turns from sin and turns to Jesus in faith is part of God's people regardless of their race. Okay. But the unity of the Jews and Gentiles in Christ, that's only part of the mystery that Paul's describing here in this passage in Ephesians 1.9. The mystery that Paul describes here encompasses that mystery, but it also encompasses much, much more. Verses 9 to 10 say, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. So this tells us that God makes known the mystery of his will to his children according to his purpose. More specifically here, this word purpose is a great word, and it means his kind purpose, or his goodwill, or we talked about earlier, it's used in, a, in this passage as, uh, sorry, in a previous sermon. It's a delightful, fixed intention of benevolent favor. That's God's purpose. God set forth his kind purpose before the world began 
in Christ. So what that means is before <laughs> he created, before there was a thing called time, God's purpose was to show, was to show kindness. Okay? And God's determining to show kindness was done in his son before the creation of the world. And not only did God determine to show kindness in his son as he was determining this, but he determined that he would display his kindness through his son. So it'd be in and through Jesus. Verse 10 says, this was God's plan for the fullness of time. Now the fullness of time uh, means that the, what the Greek word means is when the time was ripe. It means when the fruit becomes ripe. That's when the time will be full. And you read elsewhere in the Bible that uh, this phrase, that God sent the son Jesus to the earth in the fullness of time, right? So when it was the perfect appointed time for Jesus to die for sinners, that's when Jesus came to earth. Um, but the fullness of time described here in verse 10 hasn't happened yet. The fruit is still ripening. And we know that because Paul's about to describe a future reality when something happens. And what happens? Well, let's look at it. Verse 10. It says that God will unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. God will unite all things in Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth. So what is that gonna look like? Well, <clears throat> the word translated here as unite also means to sum up or to bring together under one head. And in the context of this verse, I think it means to unite or maybe even to reunite under the headship of Jesus Christ. So you're taking things that are divided all over the place. They are, un they are not... Uh, uh, Siri, help me here. What's the opposite of harmony? Dissonance, okay? So they're dissonant, okay? Um, and now there's going to be harmony. Sorry to call you up. Um, so one day in the future, Jesus will take what he created, which was ruined by sin and Satan, and Jesus is going to reconcile his creation so what that means is Jesus is going to end the hostility in his creation. He's going to bring perfect peace and harmony or shalom in every way to his creation again. So that means people, angels, animals, the world, planets, they will no longer be hostile toward one another and toward God. The elements, all things, Jesus will restore and bring perfect peace to just like we once had in the Garden of Eden before sin corrupted creation. And Jesus will do this, this cosmic reconciliation through the power of his death and resurrection. Okay? He will form one new and perfect creation under one head, and he's the head. And so, what are all the sufferings and joys of our lives adding up to? They're adding up to that future cosmic reconciliation, which will happen 
for the praise of God's name and then which will be sustained by God for the praise of his name forever. This is why the future return of Jesus to earth in the flesh someday is central to the Christian worldview. Because we believe that no evil things that have been done in human history or in cosmic history will go unpunished. One day Jesus, who is the perfect judge, the good king, is gonna return in glory as the conquering king, as the cosmic judge, and he will execute perfect justice. All wrongs experienced during life on earth will be righted. And then he will make all things new. Yeah, with a new heavens and a new earth is, is the way that scripture describes it. And it will be centered around Jesus and the radiance of his glory. And this new city will be populated by his redeemed children. And from scripture's descriptions of the new heaven and new earth, we know there will be no more diseases or coronaviruses or unhealth. That's not part of the future reconciliation. There will be no more pollution and contamination of the earth. There will be no more children living in landfills. There will be no more girls selling themselves on the street. There will be no more abortions. There will be no more illegal drugs or legal drugs because there's not gonna be a need for drugs. We won't need healing and we also won't want to escape the heavenly reality around us. Why would you take a drug to make you escape that? There's gonna be no more spousal abuse. Jesus, as the great shepherd, will walk among us again, he says, and he will sustain perfect peace and harmony between all of his creation forever. Wow, thank you, Lord. Now, in studying uh, Paul's letter here to the Ephesians, I discovered it's really similar to his letter to the Colossians. Maybe some of you knew that. But it's almost like he wrote one right after the next. And in the first chapter of Paul's letter to the Colossians, he talks about the exact same things as the first chapter of Ephesians. And, but in Colossians, he really goes into a lot more description about this future view of what it looks like for all things to be reunited in Christ. Um, and we're not going to study this closely in this Colossians passage because we don't have time, but I think it will help us to look at it. So Colossians 1, 15 to 23 says this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death 
in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Commentator Peter O'Brien writes, the summing up of all things is the goal to be achieved, but that is not to suggest that the implementation of this divine plan is not already underway. Indeed, significant steps have already been taken to set in motion the achievement of this goal. In particular, it is through Jesus' saving work that the revelation of the mystery's content has come about. So, God is currently reconciling humanity to himself as he fills them with the Holy Spirit who makes them born again through faith in him. And that means that our churches, which are a church, the church universal is, is the collection of all believers and then local churches are the manifestation or local manifestations of bodies of believers. That means that our local churches on the earth ought to be living expressions of reconciliation of God's reconciling work between us and him, between us and other individuals, reconciling work between people of all races and socioeconomic statuses and backgrounds who are now reconciled and united to each other by one spirit, by one faith and one savior, Jesus Christ. And so, that means that the life transformation that we experience in this life uh, by the grace of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, it means that our expressions of love and mercy for others that we do through the power of the Holy Spirit, it means that the miracles that we experience in our lives, the racial uh, and relational reconciliation we experience in this life through Christ, all these things are foretastes of this cosmic future reconciliation that God is going to bring about in Christ. And so to help us understand what all God will one day reunite, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones describes this. He wants us to think about, think about everything that was lost to sin in the garden. And so you, and just touching on that a little bit, he says, before God created the world, and then when God created the world, um, Christ was over all of it, over the angels and all powers and authorities we read, and he was over the world and the animals and the fruit of the earth. Mankind was made the master of creation over all animals and inanimate nature. It was, it was absolutely perfect. It was in a state of entire harmony and unity. And everything worked harmoniously then. Everything uh, worked harmoniously down from the head of Christ and back upwards to the head of Christ. But the harmony that was once uh, was destroyed. And first of all, there was a revolt in heaven itself, we, the scripture describes. The devil rebelled and fell away from God. Remember, the devil was once an angel. He, was, he, well, he is an angel. He's just a fallen angel. The devil was an angel in heaven with God at one point. He rebelled and fell away from God, and a large number of the other angels followed him and fell with him. We call them demons, 
They are angels. They're just fallen angels, but we call them demons. And the result of this was discord, disharmony in the heavenly realms. But the discord was not confined to heaven, unfortunately. The, the, this fallen angel, Satan, came to the Garden of Eden and tempted man and woman and they fell away from God. And the result of their falling away from God was discord among humans and between God and humans. That is when dispute started and misunderstandings and miscommunication and war and bloodshed and, and murder and jealousy and every other human expression of evil. But it wasn't limited just to the heavenly realms or to humanity. Even the earth and inanimate creation itself suffered as the result of sin. Briars and thorns, diseases, pestilences came because of sin. That's why Romans 8, 19 to 21 says, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So the good news is this. Because time is being fulfilled, because Christ has come, because he has given us the spirit, the wonderful news in Christ is that the old harmony will be restored. That's great news. And God has revealed to his children how it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen in the fullness of time through the blood of Christ according to the riches of God's grace. So, at this point, it's important to think about what Paul means by all things in Ephesians 1 verse 10. What does it mean that all things will be reunited under the headship and kingship of Jesus Christ? If you read verse 10 without reading the rest of scripture, you might think Paul's describing universalism here, which is the belief that it really doesn't matter whether you trust in Jesus or whether you reject Jesus during your life on earth. Uh, It doesn't really matter whether you seek to live a life that's honoring to God or whether you seek to basically please yourself and do whatever you want because in the end, all people and all creation are gonna be saved and reunited and restored. But that sort of universal reconciliation is, is clearly not what Jesus describes during his time on earth, uh, during his time on earth, and, and uh, it's not what Jesus teaches in other parts of the word of God. So uh, there are a variety of ways uh, that Christians have interpreted this, um, this, phrase, this phrase, all things, and I'm just not gonna list them all because there's a lot, but here's what I think it means I, after looking at it. I think it means that one day Jesus will bring back together under his headship everything he created except for fallen angels and the people who rejected him during their lives on earth. Uh, This is helpful. John Piper writes this. Some think that by all things, Paul means all things in the universe now will someday be reconciled to God. I don't think he means that. I think he means that the blood of Christ has secured the victory of God 
over the universe in such a way that the day is coming when all things that are in the new heavens and the new earth will be entirely reconciled to God with no rebel remnants. According to Jesus, before that day comes, all those who refuse to be reconciled by his blood will be, I mean, Jesus says this, well, they will be cast into outer darkness and are not reckoned to be part of the new heavens and the new earth. The rebels in hell will simply not be part of the, all things which fill the new heavens and the new earth. They're outside of the new reality. They're in the darkness. Um, and, Do- and Lloyd-Jones agrees. He says, let us be careful to observe that these blessings only apply to those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. No harmony is promised to others. They are sent, clearly scripture says this, to everlasting destruction. They will be outside the cosmos, as it were. They will be out of harmony and they will not disturb it internally. As regards the falling angels, it's clear there's no hope for them. They are, according to Peter 2, 4 and Jude 6, they are reserved in chains in the pit until the final damnation comes. And Satan also will be cast into the lake of fire where he and all his followers will be tormented forever, according to Revelation 20, verse 10. As for the good angels, scriptures teach that they are coming, um, they are part of God's good purpose. In Revelation 5, we're, we're told that not only the saints sing the praises of the Lamb, but also thousands and thousands. It says myriads and myriads of angels will join the saints in the same chorus along with the beasts and the elders, is what it says. And it also says that the earth is involved. The apostle Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3 that the day is coming when there will be a destruction of this present earth by fire. Uh, The elements will melt with fervent heat is what Peter describes. Evil and sin will be burned out of the universe. There will be a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells all and only righteousness. So think about that. As I was thinking about that this this week, it seems to me that God's glorious recreating of the heavens and of the earth and of the physical elements of the universe and of the dirt All these things will be so glorious that the fallen angels and the fallen humans who have refused to trust in the saving gospel of Jesus Christ at that point will wish that they were dirt. They will wish that they were God's dirt at that point. They'll wish either to be destroyed, to cease to exist, like the dirt of the old creation, or they will wish that they might be restored like the dirt of the new creation. But either one of those options is better than to live in eternal torment in the lake of fire with fallen angels. This is why there's an urgency to the gospel proclamation, you guys. Do you feel the weight of that? This is why our neighbors and loved ones, we gotta pray for them. Who's gonna pray for them if we don't? Who's going to tell them the gospel if the people with the gospel don't tell them? We've got to, we've got to tell them the good news. And Jesus tells us he's going to save his people. He's, there are people waiting to hear the gospel. He's going to save. And this is why it's, it's so urgent 
that while people are still alive, they have an opportunity to trust in Jesus and enter into this future cosmic harmony that's just mind-blowing that we can hardly understand. So what else is going to happen when all things are reunited under the headship of Christ and the new heavens and the new earth? Well, Scripture says this, that Christians are going to be elevated to the position of masters of creation again. That, we'll, that everything will be placed under us because we are united to Christ. We will rule with Christ. And the old original harmony will be restored Isaiah 11, 6 to 9, describes that future harmony this way. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And some people, I understand, interpret this to mean the future millennium, um, but... I think it's, it could be a both and. Regardless, it's, it's, it's describing the perfect peace and harmony that's coming in the new heavens and the new earth. So did you catch that image there of the serpent? That was one of the things I realized when I went to Africa. People are deadly afraid of serpents and they have every right to be. The puff adder. I mean, kids, get, you will die within minutes if you get bit by a puff adder. And it says here, the child will put his hand on the adder's den. Now, what, why is that vision of a serpent significant? Well, you remember that serpent in the Garden of Eden that meant evil for humanity, that led humanity into sin? Well, in the new earth to come, there will be no more evil and dangerous serpents. Humans and serpents will be reconciled in Christ. Children will play without fear in the midst of serpents. That's awesome. That's amazing. Only God could do that. When God harmonizes all things one day, we also know this, it's gonna be an everlasting harmony. Never to be undone again. How do we know that? How do we know that this isn't gonna be a week-long thing? Well, because of the one who is holding it all together, because of the one the identity of the person who has accomplished it and the eternal power of the one who has accomplished it, Jesus Christ, God the Son, the Lamb of God who was slain once and for all time. That's how we know this is an eternal harmony. So for us, whatever, you know, mountains and valleys and, you know, high points in our lives and extreme difficulties in lives, we, our lives we have to go through, we know this. Uh, God is with us right now as a foretaste of what's to come when there will be perfect harmony forever. We know this. Harmony is coming. 
God's shalom is coming, and all of it, I love this, all of it is under the headship of Christ. What's the point of everything? Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. That's the point of everything. Jesus Christ and his glory. And Jesus is not only the instrument through which it's all done, he is the purpose for it. He, what's gonna happen is God will be seen and enjoyed and glorified for all eternity. So, so then how does that change the way that we live right now as, as believers? Well, during this life, hey, I wish I had more time on application. I really do, but I, I don't. But I, I think this. I want you to come up with applications this week, okay? So be meditating about that. We who believe in Christ, we do know this. Scripture says very clearly, we are now ministers of reconciliation to each other and to the non-believing world around us. Okay? That's not optional. It says you're ambassadors of Christ, ministers of his reconciliation. So what that means is when conflict happens among us, our aim should be as, a, as individuals and as a corporate church should be to reconcile with one another as much as it's up to us as individuals, right? You can't make other people be reconciled to you, but as much as it's up to you, be at peace with one another. Now to the world around us, as God's ambassadors of reconciliation, Jesus says we are the salt and light of the world. <laughs> we have the spirit of Jesus living in us. We need to lean into that. We need to ask God to release more of that through us and to help us. You know why I've really thought about, I, I, more illustrations that I wish I could show you. I was reflecting on the, this week though, the number of songs there are though right now, or have been written in the, you know, past 20 years, about a hope for a future world peace written by non-believers. And most of the non-believers around us are longing for peace and harmony in their lives too. They weren't created for chaos and discord. None of us were. They're hoping for global harmony too. They may not be able to articulate that. And it hasn't been revealed to them yet by God that this is in Jesus Christ and it's coming. But they need to hear that they long for harmony and peace. Why do they long for that? Why is that desire in them? Because everyone, regardless of race, religion, whatever, is an image bearer of the reconciling God who made them. Their desire for harmony aligns with Christ's future harmony that's to come. But we must be clear, because God is clear, that the only way we can be part of that harmony is if we trust in Christ. Because he is the great redeemer. He is, not us. He is the one who reconciles, and he is the great harmonizer. He is the one who will harmonize it. And so to the world, we just echo Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 21. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. What did he do? He entrusted this message to us. 
Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wow. Okay. We are gonna take the Lord's Supper and as the deacons come forward now to serve the Lord's Supper, we are in our minds looking forward to that day of perfect peace and harmony and think about what Jesus described in scripture. There's a day coming when we will take the Lord's Supper with him. <laughs> We're gonna take communion with Jesus in the flesh. Now obviously his spirit is with us right now, but in the flesh, in the new heavens, in the new earth. Now I wanna read this to you. I want you to, to read a description to you of that day spoken by the apostle John given through the Holy Spirit in Revelation 21, one to eight. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. Is that reminiscent of anything? It is finished on the cross, right? I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment the one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Lord, have mercy on us. I pray that if you're here today, you would trust in the Lord Jesus and be spared from this. And for those of us that are trusting in Jesus, what a glorious thing we have to celebrate. What a victory song we have to sing because of Christ alone. Now, the night before Jesus went to the cross, he gave us this ordinance of communion. She told us to partake in regularly as his church until he returns. And the bread... He said symbolizes his body which became our sin on the cross was broken on our behalf to suffer the eternal punishment we deserve for our sin. And the cup symbolizes the blood of Christ which was shed to forgive us and to reconcile us to God. And so we will pass out these elements one at a time 
and then take, all, uh, take them all together. And if you've trusted in Jesus as your Lord, we invite you to partake in communion with us. And if you haven't, please, and if you want to learn more about Jesus and about what the gospel of grace is in Jesus Christ, we, any of these men up here would love to talk to you about that. I would too. Please talk to us after the service.